From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company, Adam Candy, and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. It's an Adams Family edition of Cofield and Company here on your Friday afternoon. No Cofield because he is officially 51 years old and apparently must be off, I'm going to guess, hungover somewhere. I hope hungover somewhere uh, for his sake that he deserves that. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, Ari back at our Finley Toyota Studios. Uh, Adam, it has been quite the day in the National Football League. Uh, This is one of those days where... I think I spent as much time clicking on Twitter bios to make sure I wasn't getting worked by a bot, uh, a fake Adam Schefter, a fake Field Yates, a fake anybody to make sure that this news as it was coming in rapid fire earlier was actually happening. But uh, get the people caught up. Uh, the, The draft pick carousel has been spinning full speed today. It has. And first of all, I thought Steve was like 57. So I guess I was way off. Uh, I mean, you know what? Older. He probably said that so he could get the vaccine. Uh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. I didn't think yeah. about that. He just uh, that's true. Uh, so it's good. I'm glad that he's uh, in a protected class and you know has, has saved himself. That's good to know. Um, but yeah, it was it was nuts. And I, I think you know I have the the opposite experience, and I'm sure you do too. Even though you're kind of joking about having to click on the bios, like I, I feel like I have way too many updates and flashes set up on my phone. <laughs> so like CBS, ESPN, uh, NFL Network, like everybody flashes these trades and you just get all these notifications on your phone. You're like, all right, I get it. There's a trade. We don't need everybody to remind me. Uh, this so, is nuts. yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely insane. And your phone blows up and then you can't even get to what the first thing that happened <laughs> was. Right. Like I, I I was working with one of the reporters over at Legal Sports Report and he was like, hey, I've been on a couple interviews. Like what's been going on? I'm like, listen, dude. Just just go back like a half hour and start reading because here, if you have not heard thus far today, uh, the biggest news of the day is that Jimmy Garoppolo is still the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, according to Adam Schefter for now, for, for a month or so, uh, because the Niners have taken three first-round draft picks, including one of theirs from this year, one from each of the next two years, and sent them to the Miami Dolphins for the number three pick in the draft. Uh, we thought that this meant that Miami was firmly saying Tua Tonga-Vailoa is our quarterback without question, and then maybe 20 minutes later, they said, yeah, maybe, because they turned around and took a first-round pick of theirs from this year, and one from next year. They sent them to Philadelphia for the number six pick. So the Philadelphia Eagles move back to number 12, where the Niners were. Everybody is firing off draft picks like they are $5 gift cards. And now we have big questions about who the quarterback will be for the San Francisco 49ers, Adam. We have questions about what in the world Miami intends to do with the number six pick that it couldn't do with the number 12 pick. And we probably have some praise for the Philadelphia Eagles because one half of football got them an extra first-round pick. Where do you want to start? Well, I think you start with 49ers, right? The 49ers, because it's the less, uh, the least amount of questions that we have. As you said, there's still a lot of questions about what some of the other teams are doing. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of question what the 49ers are doing. The 49ers are putting themselves in position to move up and most likely, and, and it's, I don't think much coincidence that this happened right after 
the news report, quote unquote, this weekend that, or not this not this weekend, this this last couple of days that the Jets were indeed going quarterback at two, which is not a huge surprise. But there's you know sources now indicating that's their plan and that they're going to take Kyle Wilson and that they're that's you know they're locked in a number two uh, in that spot and that's what they plan on doing. So all of a sudden now that three pick becomes a spot where the top two quarterbacks are off the board. And do you want to move up and get your choice of one of those guys when potentially, if you do think there's four, uh, now it seems like the 49ers might think there's five uh, of those top quarterbacks. Uh, But if you want to get your choice of them, uh, you've got to move up into that three spot. And that seems to be what the 49ers have done. Even though there's a vote of confidence for Jimmy Garoppolo staying around, at least for this season, it looks like the 49ers plan is to move up and take a quarterback I guess the only question becomes, which one? Yeah, so let's take that one right there because, all right, let's assume the Jets do go with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson had his pro day today. Kyle Wilson. I said, yeah, Zach Wilson. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I will let you know later who who Zach Wilson is because I don't even know. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyway, so the Jets have made their intentions clear here, right? And they had all of their brass at the pro day today for Wilson. So now it is, is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? Or according to insider and always reliable source of information, Chris Sims, is it Mac Jones? <laughs> That's a weird one. That is, I mean, Mac Jones kind of came from out of nowhere um, it, to be in this mix because we looked at it as top four guys and then was Mac Jones that fifth guy that was going to sneak in uh, to somewhere in that first half of the first round of the draft. Uh, but certainly he was looked at as a clear number five. His pro day went really, really well. Uh, it mostly uh, the, his ability to kind of move around, which was not expected. Uh, he was kind of looked at as more of a pocket guy, but his pro day, he looked, he looked better at, at being a little bit more mobile and throwing on the run. And so maybe he moves up significantly. I don't, I don't see that. But I also don't know, like, what do the 49ers want? What do they value? Uh, do they value just kind of that, you know, leadership, smooth, um, you know, not making a whole lot of mistakes? Uh, Mac Jones and, and the more, you know, he's looked at more of a game manager type. And does that work for the for the 49ers? You wouldn't think that you would trade up for something like that. And you also think maybe the 49ers could have stayed where they were and gotten him. So th- that's a that's a weird one. If if Mac Jones is the guy that's kind of sneaking in uh, to that spot, uh, I I'm so, I'm surprised by that. So we have plenty of time. We're going to spend much more time talking about this as the show goes on. We've got sure. our usual assortment of NFL chat coming up. We've got Case uh, Chase McCabe coming up in. Uh, about 20 minutes from now and talk about the Titans as we continue our pass to the draft. We'll talk to him about that situation as well. Stanford routes coming up uh, at 415. Uh, we'll have Dave Koken because it is Friday. Of course, hmm. Tracy Murray of UCLA fame will join us in a little bit as well. Darren Millard to talk VGK. Ooh, ugly scene last night for the Vegas yeah. Golden Knights. But Adam, let's get back to the other part of this here. So now yeah. we see the Philadelphia Eagles and the Miami Dolphins make the next trade. So now Miami, after racking up a couple of extra first-round picks, now they go and move back up to number six. So is two with a guy, or what are they moving back up for? What are they going to get at six that they couldn't get at 12? 
I mean, that's a great question. Um, I I thought that the Dolphins were really in the market for one of the top wide receivers. Um, in this draft, there's three that people consider to be the top wide receivers. Um, and if you go to six, you're guaranteed of getting one. I know in the mock draft that I just did, uh, that I you know put out last week, that all three were gone by the 12th pick. So maybe they thought if you're going to guarantee yourself one of those three wide receivers, you have to move up uh, into that sixth spot. They also have a ton of picks the next couple of years. And maybe they just want in, a, in the opportunity to draft one of the elite players in the draft, and they, they think they can do better at six and they can at 12, and they can get more of a game-changing type guy at six. Uh, I don't know what their plan is, but I do know that they have a lot of draft capital and they decided to use some of it to move. You know, they acquired more by dropping down and then use some of it up by moving up. They may be moving up so that they can, you know, auction their pick off again. Like, I, I don't know oh what they're doing. My but God. I, do know, I do know what they're doing has been fairly smart. I mean, I like a lot of the moves the Dolphins have made the last couple of years. Um, I don't know about Tua yet. I did coming into the draft. I thought he was going to be really good. Uh, now, after a year, you're like, uh, okay, I'm not sure if that's the answer long term. Um, so maybe they are looking to take another quarterback. But I, 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 all I know is that they've done a lot of really good things um, it, with their front office and with their draft management. Uh, so I, I think whatever they do is probably going to be right. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt now. Uh, what we're supposed to do here on sports radio is we are supposed to immediately declare winners and losers for right. all these trades, right? And I have not heard in the last 10 minutes anyone say who won or lost the trade. And I'm going to tell you why. Because both these teams did something smart. Because the Niners and Miami both were extremely smart here. The Niners, look, nobody in the world believed that Jimmy Garoppolo was the guy who was going to get them over the hump to win a Super Bowl. And yet, Miami just drafted a quarterback last year in Tua, who we don't know if he's necessarily the guy, but you're right, Adam. They've earned the benefit of the doubt with the way they've worked this, because if you go back to the Laramie Tunsil acquisition, they have basically taken drafting Laramie Tunsil down in the double digits long after he should have been there, trading him to Houston, and now this trade into four first-round picks. <laughs> they've they've earned the right for us to say all right well let's see how uh let's see how miami does with this well if okay if you want to go definitive winners and losers uh dolphins winner um i don't know about the 49ers i i will i'll say if we have to say winner loser i'll say loser um but i i mean i think you're right like they they have decided they need a quarterback and they put themselves in position to get one uh and the the really one of their choice outside of the top two so, you know, that's probably a good thing for them. But they gave up an awful lot in, you know, first-round picks the next couple of years to move up. And if their choice is Mac Jones, a guy that maybe was going to be there at 12, like, I don't know that that's a oh, win. No, if look, you're right. We probably have to reserve judgment in that way. But the part about the Niners, I think, is we talked about the Dolphins and, and the smart moves and that buying some credibility with us. I'm willing to give Kyle Shanahan the benefit of the doubt. I am willing with what I have seen Kyle Shanahan do, which included last year making C.J. Beathard look like a starting quarterback in the NFL for a reasonable period of time. 
in turning Matt Ryan into all pro Matt Ryan. Like, I'm willing to give him a little bit of room on that. So more coming up on all of these trades as we go on on the show. We are not without news here locally, though. Adam, uh, we're going to talk about this as we go as well. But the Raiders made an acquisition for a wide receiver. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We knew they were going to be be good and motivated. And uh, like I said, I think the start was a little bit of fool's gold. I think, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate to be up one nothing at the end of one. And I'm not sure we deserved it. Now back to Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. That is the tamer part of what Pete DeBoer said last night after the Golden Knights were bounced all around Ball Arena by the Colorado Avalanche in a 5-1 to one loss, probably the worst game of the season for VGK. It's Cofield and Company here on your Friday afternoon. Steve's out for the day. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, Ari back at the Finley Toyota Studios. Uh, as I teased so eloquently on the way out of the last segment, we'll talk a little bit more about the Raiders signing Willie Sneed from the Ravens coming up in just a little bit, 10 minutes from now. Chase McCabe joins us to talk about the Tennessee Titans as we continue our path to the draft. But Adam, back to the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, I turned on the game last night. And thank God I was watching right from the beginning because you know how it is with hockey. You can go down to pet the dog or go get a drink and you miss the only exciting action that you're going to see. And so 40 seconds in, Max Pacioretty gets an awesome bounce. The Golden Knights are up one nothing. They get another great chance for Riley Smith a couple minutes later. You're thinking, wow, okay, this is that measuring stick game against the Avalanche. We were waiting for the Golden Knights to play. Um, and then they got whacked with that stick for about the next 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was ugly. And, and as... As Peter Bohr said, I mean, you know, they got a couple, that, that kind of fortunate break early. They, they got a chance they didn't capitalize on. Um, and then, you know, if everything turned around. And they were still leading at the end of the first period. But sometimes there's a little bit of fool's gold. And, and I think, um, you know, I remember the first year fans would get so mad at this. And people have kind of calmed down a little bit because I think they understand it a little bit more. But a lot of times you'll say, well, it's one nothing go the Knights, but Colorado was the better team. And... We were like, what do you mean? It's one nothing. Like, you you can't always tell from the score uh, who has played better. And and you know, Peter Moore talks about this all the time. Of hey, you're you're ahead, but you weren't better, or you're behind, but you feel like you were the better team. And you know, the the score doesn't always replicate doesn't always indicate uh, exactly who was the better team. And I thought Colorado was a better team in the first period, and that kind of showed up a lot in the second period when they just kind of turned it on. And uh, there was you know a ton of chances. There was uh, turnovers by the Knights. There was just some ugly stretches of play. Uh, there was a couple plays where they left Flurry out to dry, and then Flurry gave up a really brutal goal, uh, which he hasn't done a whole lot this year. And uh, just the floodgates were open. And then I know at the end of the, at the end of the second period, you know, there's a lot of uh, well, the Knights are a third period team. Let's see what they can do here. But they had buried themselves in so much of a hole, and they just were not on that level yesterday. Uh, they they played. You know, a team that's that's kind of similar to them in terms of talent and ability and skill, and um, is has been you know really good for much of the year, and uh, and they never were able to kind of you know you know impose their will like they have with some of the other teams, and uh, it just really got away from them. 
People don't like to hear the nerd stats, but here come the nerd stats because <laughs> in the first period when the Golden Knights came away leading one nothing, the Avalanche Corsi 4 percentage was 60%. The scoring chances were dead even between the teams at 8-8. Eight and eight. So when you say the Avalanche drove the play, the numbers back it up. Uh, the Avalanche absolutely drove the play in that period. Their expected goals for 1.08. The Golden Knights expected goals for in the period 0.35. And then something really impressive in the second period, 0.07 for the Golden Knights in the second period. Even after giving up four to Minnesota in a period a couple weeks ago, Adam, you have to think this was, and just to the eye test, as poorly as you've seen Vegas play in any 20 minutes all year long and it wasn't just oh the goals keep coming up it was Colorado was treating them like the Golden Knights have treated the Ducks and the Kings and the Sharks they were getting punked it was break after break after break and the Golden Knights needed almost I believe 17 minutes in that period to get a shot on goal yeah it was it was just you know as you said it was it was about as ugly as you've seen them play in a period all year and I think it, it's fair to to just kind of write it off and say, hey, these things happen. It's a long season. You're going to have times where you don't play well. And it just so happened they didn't play well against one of the other best teams in the league. And when you do that, uh, it, it, you know, you're going to pay. If you have a really bad period against the Ducks or, you know, uh, the Kings or somebody like that, like, yeah, you might be able to bounce back. Maybe you only give up two goals. Maybe you're down two and you find a way to win. Um, that's kind of what this team has done. And they haven't had a whole lot of bad periods. But when they have, they've been able to somewhat overcome them. Uh, this is just you can't do that against a really, really good team like Colorado. They got taught a lesson, and uh, I think you don't want to overreact to it and say, oh, what's going on with the Golden Knights? Because it, it hasn't happened very often, but they have been showing up here and there. You know, you've had a period here, a period there over the last, you know, couple of weeks that you're a little bit, you know, disturbed by and you're a little troubled by. Uh, but again, I, I think you, you know, to come out of that game and, and say, oh, the Golden Knights suck now. Like, no, it was one period, one game. That didn't go well for them. Um, we'll see how they respond. I think that's a that'll be really telling to see what what you get out of them on Saturday. Uh, and then is it is it just become a bad trip, or was it was it hey just a, a blip in the radar for a team that has much bigger aspirations than just winning in the regular season? And uh, this is just part of the process of getting there. Uh, I, I think that's probably more like it. I don't I don't think this is a you know a sign of things to come for this team. It's just these things happen sometimes. I don't think Mark Stone necessarily agreed with you from what I heard in, in his post-game availability in terms of can you just move on from it because he was asked that question and Mark Stone came back and said, yeah, when you give up a second period like we just gave up, that you don't just get over it. Like you, And I'm not saying that he's saying, oh, well, obviously the Golden Knights aren't on the same level as the Avalanche. <laughs> I think that he and Max Pacioretty both made very clear by both their demeanors and their answers that this one really stung them. And I don't know if it's a matter of what the effort was from the team or what the performance was from the team or, or whatever it might be, but... These are a couple of veteran guys who are used to having a rough night along the way in a regular season, and they both looked like someone had kicked the crap out of their dog. Well, I, I think I would look I would look worse if somebody kicked my. That's kicked fair. My dog. That is that that is fair. I so uh, I, I I I don't know if Mark Stone or Max Pacioretty have dogs. I apologize to both of their dogs. Uh, Mark Stone does. I think his dogs have an Instagram account of their own, actually. 
Oh, look um, at that. Social yeah. media hound. Yes. Hound literally. Good. Thank you. Thank um, you. solid. Uh, but yeah, listen, I, I think that's what you, that's what you want out of them. Right. I, I think it's, it's their job to, to be frustrated and angry and, and, you know, try to raise a, a flag and say, Hey guys, like, this is a problem. We have to, we have to get through this. We have to let this sting and, you know, use it to use it to bounce back and, and drive us to get better um, and get kind of down about it. Like that's kind of their job as players. And, um, I, I don't necessarily know if, if always just what they say is, is exactly how we should take it. I, I, I think, listen, if you're a player and you've, you've, you've been a competitor, you've been a player, not at that level and not to give anything away, but you didn't play in the NHL, but you, you know, as a competitor, like you understand, like when that happens, you get pissed and angry and depressed and all of those emotions flood through you. Um, th- that happens. And that's how you should look after that game. That's how you should feel. Uh, but as as more analysts, I think we can take the step back and say, all right, listen, it's one game, one period. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but th- but they don't have that they don't have that luxury of being emotionless about it. Well, it's not that big of a deal if I think is the important word to put on the end of it because they get another chance at the Avalanche on Saturday, right? You get an afternoon game on Saturday. You get to go right back out there. Uh, what do they need to show you in that game for you to be able to say, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, last night was a fluke. Do they have to come out and just compete? Does it just need to be, oh, yeah, okay, well, we took them to overtime, we lost 4-3. Or do they really have to come back out there and put the kind of game on the avalanche that they just got handed to them? No, I don't I don't think result even matters. Um, I mean, I, I think, and, and, and as crazy as it sounds, like, I think if you if you won a game like three to one and didn't play well, uh, you know the the Avalanche just kind of missed their chances and you get a couple of fluke goals and you win uh, and you just don't play well at all. Uh, I think you'd rather come out and play a really solid game and just you really just kind of go toe to toe with them, match up with them, play at your highest level, even if you were to lose the game. Uh, I think it's more about uh, it's more about you know showing that bounce back, showing that competitiveness, that fire that you. Uh, you got the lesson. You you got the message from how you played the other day. Like I think that's much more important. Now, obviously, you want to win. Of course, I'm not saying that, but uh, I, I think how you play and how you respond is far more important than the result that you get out of Saturday. Do you suggest that the Golden Knights prior to the game show Ryan Reeves a video, like a 10 minute YouTube? of people in Vegas watering seven days a week right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you think fire, that would fire, fire him up. up to go out and get the Golden Knights off to a good start? I think that fires up the character of Ryan Reeves and not the actual the actual Ryan you Reeves. Don't, you don't think the actual Ryan Reeves would be mad if he saw you just spraying out of some drip irrigation, like that, like the head came off it and the water was just flying all over the place? You're telling me that's not real? Your sprinkler's broken and you don't fix it for like three months? That's what I'm saying. Like the HOA yeah. has been breathing down your neck and, you know, and Ryan Reeves is like, why won't you deal with this? <laughs> no, no, but I, you, you I, I do think, I do think that line, you know, I, I, do, I think we've, we've seen the fourth line in the past, uh, the, the Reeves Carrier line and whoever is with them. Um, we've seen them play at a very high level and really impact games in the past. And I think we're not seeing that enough this year. Uh, so, you know, in all seriousness, whatever it would take to get, that line fired up and Ryan Reese fired up a little bit. Um, they're, they're just not impacting games as much as they have in the past. Like they, they've showed it here and there and they've had good shifts here and there. Uh, but the consistent, uh, you know, game changing play 
uh, hasn't really happened for them. So I think that would be a, a huge benefit for the Knights to get that going again. Well, what do the Golden Knights need from that third line, from that fourth line? It's a question we're going to talk about later on in the show. We got Darren Millard coming on in about 45 minutes, VGK pre and post game host. And we got a little trade deadline segment coming up in a bit. Where we're going to diagnose the Vegas Golden Knights roster and see what do they need to make a championship push against the team that punked them last night in the Colorado Avalanche. But before that, Back into football, talking Tennessee Titans on our path to the draft with Chase McCabe here on Cofield & Company. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's time for Cofield & Company's Path to the Draft, presented by Weed Sellers. WeedSellers.com. That's Weed, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. Cofield and Company here on your Friday, Adam Hill, Adam Candy. Steve is out, and we'll be back with you next week for another big week here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, but, you know, we're early on in the show, and Adam, we decided that, you know, this might not be much, but we just wanted to get an effing interview early with Chase McCabe from down in Nashville uh, because he's been following what's going on not only with the Tennessee Titans but of course with the Nashville Predators as well and hopefully my setup wasn't too obtuse there Chase uh, because the Preds and referee Tim Peel certainly have been the talk of not only the uh, the NHL but much of the sports world this week uh, before we get to the Titans what did you think of what happened with Tim Peel uh, getting caught on that hot mic this week well uh, thanks for for having me guys it's, uh, it's been a while it's good to be on but no, it, it certainly has taken um, taken a lot of time this week on our shows, uh, as we've talked about it, because it's one of those moments where you know you, you turn on Sports Center or whatever, and you see them talking about it, and you go, "Holy cow, that happened in our town during a game that that I was working." Um, but you know, I look at it like this: it's one of those situations where makeup calls happen all the time in all sports, and I feel like if if anyone is a a sports fan and follows sports enough you know that and you know that that's part of it the problem is he got caught he got caught on a hot mic and the nhl had no choice and you know it's it's a little bit fake because he was going to retire at the end of the month and so they're basically saying why don't you go ahead and just retire yet they can make it look like hey we're setting an example don't do this yada 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 so there there's some of that but you know if this had been a situation with a ref where you know, they're, they're going to continue officiating games. It probably would have been a suspension, um, maybe two or three games, and then and then you move on. But since he's retiring at the end of the month, they just felt, let's go ahead and do it. And, you know, there's no love loss in Nashville for Tim Peel. He has, and I, I would say that that might be the case in uh, just about any NHL city. He is one of those that uh, can get under, the fan, uh, get under the skin of fans. But uh, it has certainly been a hot topic this week. So do we do we need to push hard on the NHL? And listen, it's all sports, as you said. Like makeup calls happen all the time. College basketball is the most egregious example to me. If you see an offensive foul on one end, like a a moving screen, you're going to see a moving screen on the other end. That's just how they do it. But like, do we need to push back on the NHL and be like, hey, this is not over. This didn't like just because you made a gesture of getting rid of a guy that was leaving anyway. Like this isn't over. We need to continue to push forward and address these problems. Yeah, I think so. And the you know one thing that we talked about, and you guys would, would know better than than anyone, being where you are. But 
you, know, you you think about makeup calls and altering the outcome of a game while while it's not as egregious as, as it may sound wording it that way, now that sports betting is not just in Vegas, that it's you know, it's legal in our state now and it's becoming as mainstream as it is, I mean this is certainly something that the NHL doesn't want to have, you know, get out and be public because they have, you know, they've now said, Hey, it's cool got DraftKings or BetMGM or whoever that's on board. And so the optics of everything uh, is what you have to worry about. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you are – I don't think you're going to see it go away completely, but you're going to, you know, see refs maybe be a little more cognizant of the repercussions of it, um, knowing that, you know, there's always – there's somewhere in that rink is always a hot mic that you have to be careful of. And you have to think about there's a bigger picture to look at now uh, if you're an official and you're the league. So I don't think this is completely going away from either side, that people are going to push back of, hey, there, there needs to, you know, the, the refs need to call it by the book or, or what have you, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think there are times you've got to let them play and, and all of that. But, um, but with sports betting, I, I think it's certainly going to be um, even more, uh, more of a big deal than it has been in the past. Chase McCabe, find him on Twitter at Chase on Game, 1025 the game in Nashville, and Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. local. So, Chase, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans as we continue our pass to the draft here. And there have been few teams that have been more active in terms of players coming and going uh, than the Tennessee Titans. Why don't you get people kind of caught up with the major signings and the major losses for the Titans this offseason? Yeah, well, I would say let's start with the losses because uh, losing Corey Davis and you know that that uh, losing Johnny Smith, those two were big parts of that offense that you saw last year. Um, because Corey Davis, while he never truly lived up to being the fifth overall pick in the NFL draft, he certainly was a huge piece, a complimentary piece alongside AJ Brown is uh, a target for Ryan Tannehill. As was Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith had done a tremendous job taking over for Delaney Walker as the team's number one tight end. So losing those guys hurt, and then they had to go and they had to make some cuts to to make room to improve the pass rush and uh, all these other things with the team. So Malcolm Butler is gone. Adoree Jackson is gone. Dennis Kelly, who was a starting right tackle, is gone. So you lose two corners and, and, and the right tackle. And then um, Kenny Vaccaro, who was a starting safety, they had to cut him as well. So, so the defense is going to look... Um, look different with the moves that they have made. Now, with that said, the additions that they have, they re-signed Jayon Brown, who was huge uh, in the uh, in the linebacking court. They added Bud Dupree from Pittsburgh, which was somebody that I had targeted from the very beginning to help with the pass rush. Uh, tremendous linebacker uh, out of the University of Kentucky, and that you know had a had a nice career with Pittsburgh. Now he is a Tennessee Titan. Janoris Jenkins, they signed to replace. You know, the corners that they cut, maybe not the same jackrabbit as he has been, but I still think a, a pretty good pickup. But the one that I really like the most is Danico Autry, who is a defensive lineman that has been with the Colts. I thought that was huge, not only to take him from an AFC South foe, but adding pass rush to the interior defensive line to go alongside uh, another Mississippi State alum in Jeffrey Simmons. So I think having Danico Autry on that line, is going to be huge, and they've, they've made other moves too. Kendall Lamb, 
on the offensive line. They've re-signed a couple of their tight ends in Perkser and Swain uh, and Tyson Brylo, another uh, defensive lineman, I, or uh, uh, offensive lineman. And I also like Josh Reynolds, the wide receiver that they brought in from the Rams uh, to be the two or the three, depending on what they do in the draft. So it is, you know, we are on the path of the draft and we're looking at what teams are going to need. So you did a great job of breaking down the comings and goings there. What do they still need to address heading into the season? Or where do they go in that in that uh, NFL draft next month? A lot of different directions that they can go. I still would like to see them uh, address pass rush. I think that that is important. You can never have too many in, in building somebody up, uh, developing them after picking them in the draft, I think would be big. But they need a receiver. They need another corner. And I, this draft is very deep at both of those positions. I don't think they have to spend the 22nd pick on a corner or a receiver unless they, they view that person as the best player available uh, for what they need. So whether it's, you know, uh, Kadarius Toney, uh, the receiver out of Florida, or J.C. Horn, uh, a cornerback, uh, I, I think they have a lot of options there. But pass rush, offensive line, I put in there after uh, the failed Isaiah Wilson pick from last year, uh, which has obviously been a, a topic of conversation. Excuse me. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I think receiver, corner, pass rush, uh, and offensive line is probably going to be the positions that you're going to see the Titans address the most. Titans picking at number 22 in the first round. What do you see in terms of mock drafts? What do you think is going to happen? Who do you want to see them go after with that first pick? Well, and, and that's the tough question because, like I just said, there there are so many options. I mean, I know Mel Kuyper has Kadarius Tony in his uh, in his last mock draft. I I think Tony is a a solid player, but I wouldn't do that at 22 because of the receivers that are going to be available uh, in the second or even uh, the third round. So if uh, if I'm picking uh, at 22 for the Tennessee Titans, I'm probably going to go. Um, something on defense, whether it's uh, whether it's a corner or whether it's pass rusher. I really like J.C. Horn, and um, I think he could he could be somebody that really fits. Aziz Ojolari out of uh, the edge rusher out of Georgia, Jalen Phillips, another edge rusher out of Miami. I would be fine with either one of those guys. Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, we all know what his dad did in the NFL. He would be another one at corner. So I would probably address the defensive side of the ball. If I'm John Robinson doing the drafting, uh, you mentioned a name there, and and obviously the Titans have moved on from Isaiah Wilson. But how did it go so wrong? You know, if I had the actual answer to that question, <laughs> I would probably be a, a rich man because that is one of the most bizarre stories that you know I have been this close to in my career because we had him on our show three days after he was drafted. Seemed like a very nice young man, excited to be in the NFL. Uh, had obviously had a, a very good career at the University of Georgia before coming out. And we talked to people because, you know, I mean, you know how this works. When a player joins a team, you start asking questions, like learning more about them, not only as a person but as a player. And everybody we talked to that was connected to the University of Georgia, they said, he's great. You're going to love him. He's, he's a solid player. Uh, nothing but, you know, he's got an upside to him, a ton of raw talent that needs to be developed. The only, the only, if you want to even call it that negative that would come up would be he's just very young. And clearly he showed that. I mean, it, it was 
crazy from the very beginning, uh, whether he's doing donuts on, on West End in Nashville and, and getting a DUI or he's trying to run from the cops at a, a college party at Tennessee State University. Um, the report has you know, come out that before he was traded, uh, he, he was uh, arrested after a car accident. So I, I, there's just all these things, and it, it simply points to he just doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it. The love of the game for him is not there. He apparently just doesn't care about playing football. He just wanted everything that came with it. And so the Titans and John Robinson finally just said, hey, we got to move on. Uh, and they, they traded, you know, they swapped sevenths, and then now he's been cut uh, and is a free agent. And I, I simply don't think he's ever going to play. He, the, only, the only downs he played for the Tennessee Titans were a victory formation. He had four snaps in that. So um, a, definitely a failed pick and, and the worst in the uh, tenure of John Robinson because it's very easy to ask the question of how in the heck do you miss that? Chase, we really appreciate the time, man. Great spot, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Have me anytime. Chase McCabe talking to us from Nashville. Uh, yeah, absolutely bizarre situation with Isaiah Wilson. It's ongoing, by the way. It's not like things stopped once he left Tennessee. Yeah, so the draft pick that did not work out as the Titans now look to reload in that spot. Reloading is what looks like the UNLV running Rebels are going to be doing in Kevin Kruger's first year. Already six names in the transfer portal. Another one just today. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now back to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield & Company here on your Friday afternoon on a beautiful day in the Las Vegas Valley. Joined by Adam Hill, Madam Candy, Ari, keeping everything on track back at the Finley Toyota Studios. Keep it locked right here. 20 minutes from now, Darren Millard coming on to talk VGK after last night's rough, rough performance in Colorado. But Adam, we got to get back to the UNLV running Rebels. Uh, even though Kevin Kruger's hiring has been official for a few days now, the news has basically been trickling out a little bit at a time. And I guess that's what happens this time of year when we start dealing with the transfer portal, especially in a year where everyone has an extra year of eligibility and everyone can transfer without penalty. Uh, there have been, according to verbalcommits.com, 27 Mountain West players either go into the portal or already come back out of the portal on the other side. Sounds like a interesting, dangerous, dark, scary place, the portal. Caleb Grill, Donovan Yap, Eduardo Delcadia, Jalon Martinez, Isaac Lindsay, and just today, uh, promising freshman Devin Tillis in for UNLV. Uh, it's natural to react this time of year and say, oh my God, they're losing everyone. They're all jumping ship, right? But there's a lot more to it than that. There is, um, for sure, in that, you know, this is a, it's a weird time, and, and the fact that they kept, you know, somebody from the staff uh, would lead you to believe that there was a good chance that they were going to be able to keep some of these guys. Uh, so I think that's a little bit, there's a small part of that that is concerning, uh, but there's also the possibility that, you know, some of these guys were just told, hey, Maybe it's not going to work out for you going forward. Like, I mean, you know, Caleb Grill, not that guy, uh, because Caleb Grill, I think, is a guy that they really wanted, a guy that was starting, uh, that was really showing a lot of signs of progress. I think uh, Devin Tillis is a guy that showed a, a lot of really good signs this year. 
that should be somewhat of a concern for them. Uh, a couple of the guys I would say, hey, listen, you know, maybe maybe this wasn't the right spot. Maybe you know you should maybe it, you know it wasn't going to work out going forward. Um, but another one is uh, Eduardo Delcadia, who I thought showed some really um, you know some real signs that he could be effective. Uh, you know, next year, how, if it's going to be two years, I guess it's a weird dynamic now because he was a junior. Um, I guess you can get two more years because this year doesn't count. It's a it's a weird uh, time in college basketball, of course, but um, it's also weird because everybody's going to be able to just transfer, and they haven't officially made that announcement yet. But it seems like they're going to say that everybody can just transfer without sitting out a year. So uh, there's going to be a lot of guys in there. There's going to be a lot of guys coming in, a lot of guys going out. It's going to be crazy everywhere. But you expect certainly with a new coach that you're going to be there. Uh, I just thought there a, a couple of those guys they were hoping to keep around, and that was part of you know the, the the continuity in the program of saying, hey, look, listen, Kevin brought a lot of these guys in. He's been coaching them. He'll probably be able to keep them. And just because they're in the portal doesn't mean they're gone either. I think that's an important thing for people to remember. It is important. And I want to make one point before I go on to the general discussion of this. Thank you no. for backing me no. up on Delcadia because – Cofield poo-pooed me yesterday when I was saying that I thought this is a guy who could probably be in a nine or ten man rotation at some point in his uh, you know next couple of years. I thought he was a valuable piece. Cofield was like, "That's not how they're building the program." I'm like, all right, Steve, <laughs> you, you, I know you watched every game, but uh, I thought Delcadia could have been a useful piece for them. Adam, to, to go to your point about the continuity, maybe it's 180 degrees the opposite. Maybe that continuity is why some of these guys are in the transfer portal, right? Maybe it's because Kevin Kruger has had the longest look at these guys of anyone. So maybe we need to look at this the opposite way. Maybe it's not that guys are necessarily jumping ship like, I don't want to play for Kevin Kruger. Maybe it's that Kevin Kruger and that staff already knew that if they got the opportunity, because we've heard for, what, from Desiree Reed-Francois, that she knew in mid-February that TJ Otzelberger was probably leaving. And that means the staff probably had a pretty good sense of it, too. They probably had their wish list of who would come and who would go as well. So I'm not saying all of these guys were pushed out the door, but you have to feel like that if anyone was going to be able to keep them, it was going to be the person who recruited them. And maybe this is the opposite force in action. Of what? Of him saying hit the road? No, no, no. Uh, no, no. Exactly that. That, that it's Kevin Kruger, it's Kevin Kruger and staff, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm not sure you're fitting into our future here." That instead of us saying, "Why, why couldn't Kevin Kruger keep certain guys?" Right? Me, yes, maybe he wanted to keep Caleb Grill, maybe he wanted to keep Devin Tillis, but that might not be the case for everybody. Well, yeah, I think like Jalen Martinez and Isaac Lindsay are probably guys that they met with and said maybe it's not going to work out. Um, I, I would think Donovan Donovan Yap's an interesting one because I do think there's some potential there. Um, I, I don't know what that situation would be, but uh, yeah, I think every case is different too. And, and, you know, a lot of times we just throw, throw in this, these guys are in the portal and like, well, every case is different of guys going to the portal. Cause you're right. Some of them are guys that you say, Hey, listen, we don't see a role for you next year. If you want to leave, go ahead and leave. And other guys are ones that want to leave and go somewhere else. Other guys have been recruited somewhere else and have kind of been stolen away from you. Like all those things happen too. So I think when we throw a blanket over the portal and say, well, this is these are guys that are leaving. Uh, we do have to kind of, you know, differentiate why different guys are in there. Uh, but I don't think there's any way Caleb Grill is a guy that they were like hit the road. Like they, I think they wanted him. I think Devin Tillis is is also somebody who showed a lot of promise, and and that's probably a guy you wanted to keep around. But you're right; some of the guys, I'm sure, were probably told there's not really a role for you. 
Caleb Grill last year, nine points, three rebounds, a pair of assists per game, uh, 34% from three. I think it was probably a little disappointing for, for some people. But, you know, Caleb Grill is the exact story why we need to look at the transfer portal as an evening out of the power structure for kids in college basketball. So commits to South Dakota State when T.J. Otzelberger is there. T.J. leaves, goes to Iowa State, comes to UNLV. T.J. leaves again, goes back to Iowa State. And now Caleb Grill is back looking for his third school in three years. So I understand that coaches like to rail against the transfer portal. They like to say that kids aren't committed anymore. Well, no. Commitment is a two-way street, and the transfer portal might not be a perfect solution to that, but it at least gives some opportunity for the players to have a little bit more power than they traditionally have had when they were getting blocked left and right for very legitimate reasons when they wanted to make moves here or there. Much more college basketball, of course, coming up on the show. A big-name coach from the Big 12 on the move to a much smaller school. Why would you make this move if you're Shaka Smart? The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.